Hi, this is Dr. William Renner. I'm here with Dr. Alan Safdie, world-famous gastroenterologist and internal medicine physician, to discuss COVID-19 and to give you an update on how to stay safe during uh, this uh, epidemic. Alan, what are the symptoms of COVID-19? No, that's a good question, and we've got lots of stuff we're going to discuss today, and this is going to change. I mean, we'll do a follow-up one at some point, and things are changing rapidly. The reason we call this a novel COVID-19, um, it's a coronavirus that we have not seen before. So none of us have natural antibodies. A lot of influenzas out there, we have natural antibodies. A lot of rhinoviruses, we have natural antibodies. But this one, we don't. And it's spreading like wildfire throughout the population, and we have to take it very seriously. So, you know, we'll discuss certain things. But, you know, the main symptoms that you're going to see, um, if you get symptoms, and there are people that have virtually no symptoms that I've seen. A uh, seven-year-old gentleman had a slight, what he thought was achy, maybe a subjective fever, uh, and a little bit of a dry cough for a couple of days. And he ended up having IgG antibodies, uh, which means that he had the infection, he's gotten over the infection, is now immune in the past. So 70 years of age and basically had no symptoms. Some young people have virtually no symptoms. However, one of the first people, uh, the gentleman, Dr. Lee, um, who Dr. Lee was a physician in China, who spent a lot of time around severely ill COVID-19 patients, he was probably infected with a very high dose. Uh, he was only 34 years of age and died from this. So we need to watch for the type of symptoms we need to have. Fever, cough, a little bit of shortness of breath. Those are the typical symptoms that we may see early on. Some muscle aches, a little bit of myalgias, uh, vague headache. Things that we worry about, emergency warning signs that require more medical attention immediately are trouble breathing. So shortness of breath or difficulty going up or down stairs, persistent pain or pressure in the chest, confusion or inability to arouse, and very late bluish lips are on the face. So, you know, who's at the greatest risk for, you know, these serious infections? Unfortunately, is older people. Um, but again, young people can die of this disease and get severely ill from this disease. People in nursing homes, they're in close contact with high viral loads. Um, people with chronic lung disease or heart conditions or immunocompromised. That means people that have some sort of immunocompromised condition, bone marrow organ transplants, immunodeficiency, HIV or AIDS, if they're on corticosteroids. Um, and a lot of people are on prednisone, that puts them at higher risk. So even smoking may suppress that. And people that are obese with a BMI of 40 or higher put themselves at a higher risk. And then other things such as diabetes, chronic kidney disease, or liver disease puts you at higher risk. So one of the uh, alarming things that I uh, read just yesterday was that in uh, Italy, uh, they estimate that 20% of the patients die before going to the hospital. So it's just as you, uh, as you mentioned, it's extremely important if people start to develop pulmonary symptoms, shortness of breath, that they go to the hospital immediately. Because yeah. this can be a very rapidly progressive disease in some individuals. Yeah, that's a, a unique and unfortunate feature of COVID-19 is that 
some patients who are starting to feel better suddenly take that turn for the worse. And the downturn usually comes between five and seven days into the illness. Um, one of the things you can look at is checking how many times somebody's breathing per minute. Um, one easy way to check breathing is to monitor how many breaths you take per minute. If they're starting to breathe 24, 30, 26, 30, 36 times per minute, those are getting to be people that need to have medical attention immediately. But never be afraid to call your physicians in this. Um, people could be requiring just a little bit of oxygen in 24 hours. They're on a ventilator, as you just said. So the downhill course can be relatively rapid in these individuals. Yeah, and I would like to remind the audience to always call your physician. Uh, the information changes rapidly, and the information we're giving now, uh, as far uh, as best we can tell, is accurate. But that information changes uh, almost on a daily basis. So always contact your physician. Don't rely on these uh, podcasts or anyone's podcast to give you uh, your medical uh, your medical information. Talk to your uh, physician. Uh, Alan, what about loss of smell? Yeah, there's a couple other rare symptoms that, uh, you know, we see. Loss of smell is not that rare. And it's not just smell, it's also taste. Uh, and that's a very good point. So you may, one of the first things may be you can't smell like you used to be able to smell and you have this constellation of other symptoms or your taste, things just don't taste right. Other things that we can see with this in one to three percent of people is conjunctivitis, these red eyes that go along with this. Although there's not a lot of viral particles in tears compared to secretions, um, but these red eyes can be a significant uh, problem that we see. And one of the things that we've seen is diarrhea. So this can cause gastrointestinal side effects. So respiratory symptoms along with gastrointestinal symptoms, uh, that doesn't rule out COVID-19. In fact, it's one of the things we're looking for. All right. Now, we're, we're all practicing uh, social distancing. Is six feet far enough away? Yeah, I mean, it depends on whether we're looking at it at a lab or we're indoors or we're outdoors. So there was a recent MIT study showing, you know, is six feet enough for social distancing? Um, and for the most part, personally, I think it is. If, but if I can be 12 feet away or 18 feet or, you know, 36 feet away, I'm going to be. Uh, in a lab, they show droplets care, you know, with coronavirus can travel up to 27 feet. But again, that's in a lab. Um, what we can find, uh, the genetic material from the virus um, can be found in patients' rooms more than six feet away from the patient. Does that mean that it's going to be problematic for individuals? Outdoors, not as uh, big a deal as early on. So. What happens is these aerosolized droplets produced by talking. So you don't have to be coughing. You can even be talking. So that's why asymptomatic people can spread this disease. So even by talking and breathing, they have little droplets that come out and these droplets can spread the virus. Um, and the droplets, especially in a hospital setting where there's huge quantities, these can be suspended in the air for a little while. You know, sometimes some people say up to 10 minutes, some people say up to 30 minutes. Outdoors, not as much of a problem. What happens to those droplets then? They drop down onto surfaces where you're going to touch them. So places that you're going to touch these little droplets are going to be on a table, on a light switch, on a, you know, could be 
any surface within that area. So we have to be very careful um, with hands touching any of the mucous membranes. Uh, once there's enough mass, and I hope that there will be soon, once there's enough mass, should we all be wearing masks? After, I mean, of course, the medical personnel need the mask first. But once there's an abundance of mass, should we all be wearing masks? You know, I think that, you know, if we look at a lot of other countries, people do wear masks. Um, you're not going to have enough N95 masks that are going to filter out viruses coming into me, the, the ones we would wear in a hospital setting. Um, but it does protect other people around me. So as I'm breathing, as I'm talking, those little droplets are coming out and it's catching some of those in the mass. So I may be spreading less. Uh, I was horrified this afternoon. I went up the street and saw a group of people all sitting together, kids all playing together. There's a tremendous amount of droplets in close proximity to these people. If they had masks on, there'd be less. Um, but again, these are not going to be N95 masks. Don't think that if you're not, if they don't fit you exactly well, especially even the N95 masks, you're not used to using them, and you're still not used to washing your hands or using alcohol in your hands before you touch your nose or your mouth. I see people using the appropriate mask, but then they reach under the mask to scratch their nose. Um, so you always have to make sure those hands are clean. Um, all right, well, let's talk about uh, shopping because that's a question I'm sure you get a lot. Is it, is it safe to go shopping now? Um, preferably if you don't have to shop. Um, I probably wouldn't. I'm not very good at shopping. Um, you know, we tell people to avoid large events and mass gatherings. Uh, it's one of the things we tell them to stay six feet away. Sometimes shopping, you can't do either one of those. Um, you know, we tell people to continuously wash their hands for at least 20 seconds and do it appropriately where they can wash their nails, the fingertips into the palm of the other hand and then switch and then wash between their fingers and then the back of the hands and then around the thumb. So we always forget the fingertips. So, so if you're going out shopping and, and a lot of us have to go out shopping, you know, make a game plan. Um, designate one person ideally to run these errands, set up a disinfecting station uh, an area that's outside your house or a room in your house uh, with little foot traffic where you can disinfect the packaged foods when you bring them in. So I wipe off the foods we can, the ones we can't, I leave outside. Um, but when you're shopping, avoid coming within that six feet of other individuals. When I can't, uh, even if they're not coughing, I hold my breath as I walk by those individuals. Wipe the handles on the carts or baskets while shopping. Um, Although you may not have gloves or a mask, make sure you wash your hands when you go in, when you get home, use alcohol solutions, at least 60% alcohol solution if you have it, um, you know, so that you can make sure that you don't touch any of the mucous membranes, the nose, the eyes, the mouth uh, with dirty hands. So, you know, when you get back home and if I brought a lot of stuff, I disinfect my doorknobs um, or the light switches I may have touched at that time or my keys. So don't forget all these other substances that we're touching that we walked around, you know, my keys are exposed. I'm walking around in the grocery store. So do you have to wash your clothes in? Uh, probably not. But if you do, you know, wash them on the warmest setting. Uh, but don't forget to disinfect your laundry hamper. 
So often we take our dirty clothes, throw them into a laundry hamper. We forget that we just contaminated that laundry hamper. So either put a plastic bag in there, which I don't like, but in this day and age right now, I think that's not unreasonable. Uh, and don't shake the dirty laundry or anything or these bags that were exposed um, because that can take viruses and put them in the air. You can re-aerosolize those. All right. Now, uh, what about pets? Are, are pets safe? Um, even if my dog's not safe, I'm keeping her. Um, so, I, you know, we think it's okay with them outside. Just keep your, you know, I keep the distance from other humans. It's so early in this disease, you're going to hear lots of opinions. Can, you know, if somebody has, you know, blew their nose and pets my dog and then I pet my dog immediately, you know, if I contaminated my hands, probably. Uh, has there been documented spread um, from pets to humans? Um, not really. But supervise your pet in your backyard. It's okay to play with them outside. Just keep your distance from other humans. Um, you know, and I usually ask people, I say, you know, right now we're not letting people pet our dogs because they will grab the collar and other places on there, which are cloth, uh, and contaminate them potentially. So I think... We have to go overboard until we know more about this, until we get antibodies against this, uh, until we get a vaccine. We need to go overboard in protecting ourselves. Um, but pets are not a huge form of transmission. Most of the transmissions that occur come from these respiratory droplets and can come from these asymptomatic people that we think are perfectly safe to be around. The kids running around the neighborhood that everybody's talking to right now. Everybody thinks they're perfectly safe to be within a foot or two of, uh, and they may not be. Uh, the dog is much safer, but I think a little bit of extra caution at this time is warranted. Uh, yeah, I just uh, checked the, the American College of Veterinary Medicine, and uh, they report uh, this, uh, exactly what you're saying, that the the COVID particles can be uh, on droplets, can be on the pet's hair, but as far as they know, there have been no reported cases of COVID-19 uh, in dogs. Uh, I don't know about cats. They didn't mention cats. Um, what about uh, supplies? What supplies should we have at home, Alan? So, you know, first of all, people have to know, you know, how long things live on this virus. Again, this is a minimal way of transmission. Uh, one of the things that we get the most of is boxes from Amazon right now. I have shipping boxes almost daily. Uh, and on cardboard, interestingly, it can last up to 24 hours. But remember, it's declining that in full 24 hours, not a high prevalence of transmission that way. Um, plastics up to two to three days as well, stainless steel, uh, glass even longer you know, up to five days as well as ceramic. And papers depends on the how porous the paper is, so metals up to five days. So you want to have disinfectants. Um, and what do you want to disinfect around your house? You know, doorknobs, light switches, keys, phones. Our phones can be one of the dirtiest things in the world. So we're in the grocery store. We use Apple Pay or Google Pay to check out. We've contaminated our phone, so I wipe down my phone. So if you have Clorox type of disinfecting wipes or Lysol type of disinfecting wipes um, and leave surfaces wet, it kills as it dries. So don't just dry those surfaces immediately. Leave the surfaces wet for three to five minutes. Um, 
So supplies, you should have, you know, EPA approved. And everybody can get the EPA approved disinfectant list online. Uh, if you don't have disinfectants and can't get them, which is really a problem right now, you know, you can mix four teaspoons of bleach per quart of water. Um, you can buy isopropyl alcohol and make a 70% alcohol solution. So if it's 90%, you can dilute it slightly to get down to about 70% uh, with vegetable glycerin or aloe vera. Um, you should have laundry detergent and trash bags. Um, some canned foods and wipe off the cans there and some frozen fruits and vegetables and things. But there's not a tremendous amount of things that we need. Soap and water, there's no benefit of alcohol solutions over soap and water. And it doesn't have to be an antibacterial soap. The key is that 20 seconds. So if you do what I said, you rub your palms together, then you scrub your nails on one side into the opposite palm, switch hands, then interlace your fingers, wash between your fingers, then palm to the back of a hand, palm to the back of the other hand, and then around the thumb. And that's going to take you your 20 seconds. You don't have to sit there and sing happy birthday. Do the same thing with alcohol solutions. The parts that we touch mucous membranes with are fingertips. And most of the time, alcohol solutions or soap, people forget to really scrub the fingertips and around the nails. Um, what are you doing with your mail right now? So, you know, since paper products, for the most part, um, you know, a lot of people have three bins and they take it and they, you know, when it's three days old, they put it in one bin. When it's two days, they put it in the next bin, one day, next bin. Since we know on cardboard, it's about 24 hours and most of the, you know, paper products are somewhat variable. You know, I leave it for two days. Uh, it's probably a little bit of overkill. But I wash my hands immediately when I'm done reading my mail. I don't care if it's a little bit overkill anyway. So if I open packages, I go in and wash my hand. If I open the mail, I wash my hands, even if they sat out there for three or four days. So I think and it's a good way to have it. Are you doing the same for, uh, for newspapers? Same thing. Um, but I get my newspapers online. But if I had my newspapers there, it's not the newspaper. Remember those plastics that the newspapers wrapped in. Um, you know, that plastic that they wrapped them in, it can last two to three days on there. And he just touched that plastic. So again, I'd bring in, throw away the plastic, leave the newspaper sitting for a day or two, um, but wash my hands immediately. I think, you know, but the keys to this are really, you know, avoidance, um, you know, of other people. This is a minimum amount of transmission. And none of us have natural antibodies like the flu and other viruses. So it's much more contagious. Uh, this is way more contagious than influenza. And as far as we know right now, way more lethal than influenza. Uh, we will eventually get antibodies against this, either naturally as people get it, uh, so there'll be less spread, or we will get, um, you know, as time comes on in 12 to 18 months, We'll have a vaccine against this. Um, what What do you think is going to stop the disease? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and this is opinion, but I think, you know, we have to stop the spread of the disease. Um, you know, with this, you know, and one of the ways to absolutely stop the spread of this disease is by taking a look at, you know, whether we can have a type of antibody testing. Um, 
So it's the key that opens the door from total lockdown is our serologic testing. Um, is it safe to return to work? Have I had the virus? Maybe I've already had a little cold I had two or three weeks ago. Maybe that was COVID-19. Um, we don't have that. So there's a lot of testing coming up with IgG and IgM antibodies. Uh, the first ones were done in the entire county of Telluride, um, Colorado, and uh, San Miguel County. But hopefully that will be available. So there's two types of antibodies you can get, IgM, which is your first immune response, and then IgG, which gives you that long lasting type of immunity. Um, you know, like if you had measles, you're probably not gonna get it again um, because those are IgG antibodies. So if we know who's had it, who's safe to go out, who's immune at that point, um, that's beneficial. The other is, you know, these asymptomatic individuals, if we could get even a test that costs 50 or $100 per test and test everybody in the United States, that's much cheaper than a lot of these $2 trillion budgets out there. You were talking about $33 billion to test everybody to see who's infectious, quarantine them, retest people, make sure it's safe to go out, and then test for the IgG antibodies. So there's different types of tests. One is, are you immune from getting it in the future, or do you currently have it now? Uh, so one is PCR test, and one is saying, am I immune from getting this in the future? But I think serologic tests are the only way for us to know for sure what percentage of humanity has been infected with COVID-19. Um, we'll know the mortality rates at that point in time, and we're going to know when it's safe for those individuals to be exposed again and not get the disease. Um, how soon do you think they'll have a vaccine? I mean, most clinical studies, and I've been involved in clinical research for more years than I'd like to remember, but um, we go through phases, phase one, phase two, phase three. Uh, phase four is post-marketing. So right now we're at phase one. So that means giving it to volunteers, giving several different dosages to those volunteers, making sure that you know there's no toxicity from that. Phase two is you know the beginning of the kind of clinical studies. Um, phase three is a much larger study. So phase two is probably still a couple months away. Uh, phase three, maybe a few months after that. Um, so I think the earliest, you know, I expect it to be 18 months. I'd be really happy if it's somewhere between 12 and 18 months, but I'd be shocked if it's that quick unless it's done in some other country. If, uh, if the French, uh, and they're very good at uh, uh, making uh, vaccines, um, if the French come up with a uh, vaccine and uh, say they give it to 20 million Frenchmen and, and they uh, survive the vaccine, the vaccine appears safe. Do you think the FDA in the U.S. will, will go ahead and allow that vaccine? I think at this without, point. Without further testing. Yeah, I think at this point there might be enough pressure. This is so devastating. This is an illness. Um, this is an economic downturn we haven't seen almost, you know, for about 100 years. Um, this is an illness that we have not seen in our lifetime. Uh, this is an illness that's like wildfire going through there. And we still have places that don't have 100% lockdown. People don't understand how serious this is and how this can last for long periods of time. So I think there will be enough political pressure at that point in time if it appears to be safe in other countries. And we might not have to go through all the U.S. studies that we typically do.
Well, thank you, Alan. This has really been a fascinating and really helpful, uh, uh, helpful discussion. Um, what website can people go to to get more information? Well, if they want to email us um, or see other information, not only on this or other diseases, they can go to the Telluride Longevity Institute dot org dot org um, and there's a lot of interesting information on there and they're welcome to email us and we will do a follow-up again this is changing rapidly what we think today may be something different than what we'll think next week and the next time we discuss this we can get into the different type of treatments that have been looked at um, at least to this point in time although none of them have uh, none of them do we have large clinical trials yet all right, Alan, uh, thank you so much for uh, this discussion. Thank you. And uh, to you folks out there, stay home um, and uh, stay safe. Thanks a lot.